Turn in your Bibles to 1 John 4, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. That will be the text, our text this morning. And as you turn there, <clears throat> the title of the message is, Let Us Love One Another. And I want you to consider um, what it means to love one another. I mean, I could just come up here and say, let us love one another, Mike. The worship team, come back up. We're done. But it's not that simple. What does it mean to love one another? No, really. I want you to think. What would you answer? How would you answer what is love? What does it look like? Can you find it in this world? Maybe some of you think that love is kind of this popular reframe of our day that if you love me, then you'll unconditionally accept me. Is that love? Some of you might be familiar, if, you know, when I asked the question in the beginning, I said, what is love? That may sound kind of like a tune, right? Uh, some of you might be familiar with the 90s kind of pop song, what is love? Did you, uh, can, we, can we synthesize that and make it sound a little better, Alex? <laughs> but maybe you're familiar with that song. It's a song by Hathaway, and it's What is Love. But given its title, it surprisingly has little to say about love. But Hathaway, the artist, when asked by a reporter what he meant by the song, hear what he has to say. People always ask me what I meant. I meant what is love needs to be defined by everyone by his own definition. It's unique and individual. And for me, it has to do with trust and honesty and dedication. What is love? Is it defined or does it need to be defined by everyone by his own definition? Is that really what love is? It, uh, uh, something that can have almost 8 billion different definitions and meanings in this world? I think not. And as we'll see shortly here, John tells us, what love is. He describes a very specific kind of love, a love that we're supposed to have for one another, and a love that finds its model and example in God. So please follow along as I read our text. Again, we're in 1 John 4, verse 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before your word today as a needy people. We need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. And we need your love. We need your example. And we need your son. We're so thankful, Lord, for all that you have done for us, especially in sending your son, that act of love, so that we may be made right with you, that we may be drawn near, that we may draw near to you, that we may love you. Help us, Lord, to love one another. Amen. 
All right, if you have an insert, on your insert, that first little box has four reasons why John wrote this epistle, why, he, why John wrote this letter. And in those, we'll go through those, and they're clearly identified, if you ever read through 1 John, with this kind of similar uh, terminology or phrase, something that goes something like, I am writing these things. So you'll see that as we read these four different purposes that John has for writing the book. But again, why, why, might, why are we looking at the four purposes for which John wrote the book? This isn't an overview of John. After all, we're zeroing in on just a few verses. But it's going to be hard to understand what John means if we don't understand um, what he said thus far and the purposes that he has for even taking up this, this, this writing, taking up this letter. Follow along with me, if you, if you will. It's First John's a, just a few pages, so it'll literally just be flipping back and forth. But here, in First John chapter 1, let's read John's first purpose for writing the letter, which is that our joy may be complete. Here's what he says in First John chapter 1, verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You see, John and the other apostles, they had a vision for the church. They had a a passion that the church would be in fellowship with God and with one another, and that this fellowship would express itself in love. He says so, if you read a little earlier in 1 John chapter 1, life was made manifest, and we've seen it, we testify to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. Their joy was going to be complete. Their joy was going to be full and perfected as they encouraged the church to love one another and be in fellowship with one another. The second purpose that John has in writing is just a few verses down in the beginning of chapter 1. Let's, let's read this together. I'll actually start in verse 10 of chapter 1. I think it's, verse 1, chapter 2 is where we'll, where we'll be, but verse 10 of chapter 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Because, or, but if, we, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. So John's second purpose in writing this letter is so that they may not sin, so that you may not sin. John wants nothing to separate us from uh, or separate the believer from God. And he is under no delusion that the believer won't sin. He says as much in, in chapter 10 of, of verse, or in verse 10 of chapter 1. Um, but his desire is that the church will find uh, its model in love in Christ and that we, we as a church, as we love one another, would draw each other to the source of our justification and forgiveness and freedom from sin. So he, he, he desires that we may not sin. And he takes up that effort in his, in his letter to admonish and encourage one another, and so should we. The third purpose that John has for writing is to warn against false teachers. Again, just a few verses down at the end of chapter 2, we'll read in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
See, John gives much attention in his, in his letter to those false teachers who are trying to deceive the, the, um, the believers into thinking that Jesus and in, in his humanity was, was, was or, or challenging rather, Jesus' humanity. They had no, no problem receiving Jesus and his deity, but that, but that God would become flesh was just foreign to them, and they were teaching that. And, jo- and, and John wants to say, no, this is the heart of the gospel, after all, that Jesus came. And so he exposes that heresy even in our text today as we see God sent his son into the world. So John's third purpose is to warn against false teachers. That our joy may be complete, that you may not sin, and to warn against false teachers. And if, you, if your Bible is like mine, just the next page over in chapter 5 verse 13 gives us John's fourth purpose for writing this, this letter. I write these things to you who believe that in the name of the Son of God, you may know that you have eternal life. John's fourth and final purpose in writing is that they may know that they have eternal life. And I believe this is the heart of our text today. He's encouraging the believers so that they may know that they have eternal life. And this is also, I believe, the, the purpose that John has for writing the gospel, or sorry, the, the epistle, the letter in a whole. So our text includes that, but now let's turn to our text, or if you're at chapter 5, verse 13, it's right next to it in chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. And we have three points, two verses each. This is the way it breaks down, six verses, but a lot to get through. John begins our text today with a call to love, a call to love in verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In John, or sorry, in John's call to love, we have an audience, we have content of that call to love, we have two reasons for why we ought to love one another, and we have two opposing responses to this call to love. First, John, John addresses this call to love to the beloved. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Four times already in John's letter, he's referred to the audience as beloved. And this is, and, and he'll do, do so two more times in our text today for a total of six times in, in his epistle. This is an intimate term that is meant to refer to, to those in the church, to fellow believers, to brothers and sisters. So, John is speaking to Christians because, as we'll soon see, only Christian, Christians can carry out, not Christian, only Christians can carry out this call to love one another. Now take a moment to look around at each other here today. See these beautiful faces, these well-dressed people, these you know, the beautiful outfits that they've chose. Uh, these, these fellow brothers and sisters here at Martinsdale Community Church as a body, we are the audience of this call to love. And individually, this call to love is given to us as, as, as an action for us to follow up on. And for those joining us, I've seen a number of, of new faces in the crowd too. The churches that you're a part of, they are the body that God is calling you to love and to act in love towards one another. I hope this has gotten your attention because this call to love refers and is addressed to you, to me, to us. 
the content of the call is rather simple. The call itself is to the beloved, and the content is to love one another. That is the content, to love one another. I don't want to miss pointing out the obvious here, but you're going to have a really hard time loving one another if you're not gathering with the body. Amen? So I don't want to, I hope I'm not being, you know, too crazy up here. But if we're going to carry out this call to love one another, we have to what? Gather with one another. I don't know about you, but I'd have a very hard time loving someone that I don't know. Caring about someone that I don't know. So we need to love one another. We need to gather with one another in order to even carry out this call to love. The content of our love, or of our call, rather, again, is simple. It's to love one another, and it certainly shouldn't be surprising to you, but the Bible actually has a lot to say about loving others, right? Um, I'm sure many of you can complete the, the second half of, of these verses, but uh, uh, just follow with or, or, or listen as I read. In the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Paul, Simeon, are you listening? You're going to finish this one for me. Husbands, this, is going to, this doesn't refer to you now, but in a week, everything's going to change, okay? <laughs> Husbands, love yourselves, right? No, love your, love your wives, amen? Yes, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the Bible actually has a lot to say, and we can go on and on about different groups of people that the Bible calls us to love, but I want to zero in to the audience that, that John has for us, or, or, or for the, um, those that John is calling us to love. John is calling us to love one another, one another here in this church, one another sitting right next to you, one another in the fireside room. Hey, fireside room. <laughs> Keep this in mind, though, as we walk through this text together, because the application of this text this morning are those around you, those here seated in this building. So we have an audience and we have a content, but we haven't quite yet understood the reason for why we should obey this call to love one another. And thankfully, John gives us not one, but two reasons to obey this call to love. The first reason, uh, just to give a little structure, this may seem a little weird, um, the way that he addresses it is reason one, and then one, you know, the right response, the wrong response, and reason two. I'm just going to go ahead and look at the first two reasons, or for the two reasons that John gives us, but really follow through on that final reason after we get through the two responses. But the first reason that John gives for us is, for love is from God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. This reveals the, the source of our ability to love one another. How is it that we can love one another? How is it that we can care for one another to the point where it hurts or where it's uncomfortable? Why, why is it that the love that we have for one another is different than that in the world? It's because love is from God. Love is from God. There's some out there who think that, that we inside of us, we all have the ability to love right within us. 
right here, either in our head or in our heart. We just need to tap into it. We just need some education, some meditation, some, some sort of uh, structure, whatever it is, you name it. They think that we carry this ability to love one another. But that's not what our text says. This, our text says that, that our love does not come from here or here, but from him. Our love, is, is, it comes from outside of us and makes its way into our head, yes, into the way we think, into our heart, yes, in the way that we act, but it's not, it does not originate in our head and our heart. It comes from outside of us. Our love is from God. John will say this another way in 1 John 4.19, probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible, that we love because he first loved us. Amen? Our source of love is God himself. That is our source. Perhaps you, like, like me, have found it difficult at times to love someone in this church. I mean, we're, none of us are perfect. We're saved, we're redeemed, but um, we are still sinning until Christ comes and, and, and we are new. And I don't know how you've responded in the past to, to, to how you handle the fact that you, you know, have a hard time loving others. Perhaps you said, you know what, I'm just going to tell myself that I am going to love this person. I don't know about you, but that doesn't work. <laughs> you can tell yourself that you're going to love someone, but you cannot create this desire to love within you. John reminds us, he's reminding us here, where should we draw where, when, when we need a... Sorry. He's reminding us where we should run to when we realize that we have a lack of love for one another. It's not some method. It's not just reminding yourself of something. It's running to the source, running to God himself, because love is from God. The second reason that we should love one another um, I'll get to here in a little bit, but for those, I know I'm going to have some people tell me about blanks here if I don't say it now. So for those that love to fill out their blanks, the second reason that we should love one another is because God is love. But sandwiched in between these two reasons, for love is from God and God is love, are two differing responses to this call to love one another, a right response and a wrong response. And we're going to first consider these two responses before moving to that final reason for love. The first reason, or rather response, to this call to love one another is the right or the correct response. Here's what John says. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Loving others, then, is evidence that you are a child of God and that you know him. Loving others is evidence that you are a child of God, that I am a child of God and I know him. How, why? Why is that the, the case or how can John say that? Because love is from God. And when God makes you his child, you cannot help but bear his image and reflect his character. It's, it's who God is. When God loves you, he makes you his child. You are going to act like your father. You're going to look like your father. And, the, and John takes that and he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We're, we're going to look like God, especially in our love one for another. My, my uh, wife, 
Uh, maybe she went out with uh, Tirza, but Sarai and Barnabas, they're back there. Maybe you've met my children. Those are our two oldest. Um, and perhaps you meeting them has been in the sanctuary or in the fireside room or the foyer where you just are talking with someone and all of a sudden you have this grasp of your leg, this sudden grasp of your leg, and you're like, whoa, what's going on? Um, my children, they, they love to hug people. It's just who they are. They love to hug one another, or, or others, rather. And uh, they get that from Alice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Definitely don't get that from Allison. Um, they get that from me, right? They see me walking around. They see me hugging others. And they can't help but want to, you know, do what it is that their father does, to look like their papa. So they go around and they love others the same way. And they hug one another. And now it's just part of their character, and, and I encourage them every morning, every Sunday morning, to go around and just give as many people as you can a hug, and they love it. Well, in a, in a, in a, in a very similar way, they're, they're, they're hugging others. They're following through with what they see me do because they want to be like me. They want to reflect and look and care about the things that, that, that I care about. And in a, in a similar way, we are children of God when we reflect who he is. When we reflect his love for others, when we reflect how he cares for others, especially here in our church. So the first response to this call to love is that we love one another, and and it's an evidence that you're a child of God and that you know him. So what does this mean for, for you and I? What does this mean? This means that if we see our brothers and sisters here in this body loving others, we can be confident that they know God and that they have been born of God. And, and also for us, for ourselves, if you're, if you're looking for, for some way, I mean, this is, this is John's kind of perp, one of his main purposes in writing this book, right? Is that you may know that you have eternal life. And he gives a number of different ways to test what you believe by what you do. And here's one of them. Here's one of the tests that John gives that we may know that we have eternal life. Are we loving others? And you can be confident too, and I can be confident that we are loving one another, or sorry, that we know God and that we have been born of God as we love one another. I'm indebted to Pastor Daniel's sermon last week. It was a great sermon, and it has so many implications. It was on faith alone, and it has so many implications on our love for one another. Last week, Pastor Daniel pointed out that our justification is through faith alone, but justifying faith works. Amen. Justifying faith works. True saving faith transforms you. It produces works that prove the genuineness of your faith. And as Galatians 5, 6 says, true faith works through love. It shows that you have been born of God and that you know God. It is the seal of our faith, as it were, functioning in a way to accomplish John's fourth purpose in writing, giving us the opportunity to have confidence in our faith as we love one another. Contrasted with the right response, so that was the right response. The right response is to love one another. Contrasted with that is the wrong response. And John says this, anyone who does not love does not know God. So our point there is not loving others proves that you do not truly know God. 
That is the inescapable conclusion for any one of us in this room. If we are not loving others, it proves that we don't know God. And how can John say that? How is it possible that John can say that? Well, our love for one another is not a possible outcome of our faith in Jesus. It's not optional. It's not like the icing on an already pretty good faith cake. It is the cake. It's not the icing on the cake. We cannot say that we, know love, that we know God in any saving way if we are not loving one another. Here at Martinsville Community Church or at the church that you attend if you're visiting, you cannot say that you love God in a saving way if you are not loving those in your church. No matter what decision you made in the past or how much you give to the church or how much you volunteer at, no number of good things that you do make up for how you love others. So if you are not loving God, or sorry, if you are not loving others, if we are not loving others, it's a big point, then we don't, lo- we don't know God. Period. We don't know God. And how can John say that? How can John make this, this idea of knowing God and not knowing God based on our loving one another or not loving one another? Well, The single truth that forces this dichotomy is the fact that God is love. That's our second reason for why we ought to love one another. Love comes from God. He is the source of love. And guess what? God himself is love. He is the very essence of love. And because that is true, if we're not loving others, then we don't know God. Because that's who our Papa is. That's who our Father is. He is love. And if we are his children, if we are born of him, if we know him in any saving way, then it's going to produce love for one another. So when we love others, we can be confident that we have been born of God and know God because God is love. Also, if we, or we can be confident we don't know God if we're not loving others. Because God is love. Understood correctly, this simple phrase, God is love, is the gospel. Precisely because God is love, God was moved to act. Do you know what we call that action that God took out of love? We call that the gospel, the good news. Listen to this. I mean, you guys know this. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the action that God took in love. God is love, and that is what it meant. Before we jump into, um, well, because God is love, it caused him to act, and we're going to look at the implications of that. We're going to look at God's character here soon, but before we do, I wanted to just um, address the opposite of that gospel statement. It's not, it's God is love. It's not love is God. It's not as though each one of us can kind of determine for ourselves what is loving, what, we, what makes us feel loved. And then from that, we can say that must be what God is like. What that does is it takes our sinful understanding of what love is and it places it above the God who, the very God who is himself love. No, that's not the way that it works. The way that we will come to know what love is 
is through God. In, as he reveals himself through the scripture, as we read more and more about who he is, about his character, about what he has done, only then will we come to know what love is, as we learn and understand more and more of who God is. It's not love is God, but God is love. And precisely because God is love, God was moved to act. And next, John shows us what God's love does, what God's love is in the example of love in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In our example of love, God, or sorry, John answers the question that's been lingering from the beginning. What is love? Do you remember what your response to that was as you, as you thought through in your head? How did you answer what is love or what does love look like? Think about that because next we're going to see exactly what love is. And we're going to see exactly what love looks like. And we should compare what, what it is that we believe about love with what the Bible says. So God is love and he acts. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world. God's love is active. God's love is active. God's love is not only a feeling or an abstract thought or some possibility with great potential. God's love was made manifest in time and space with real events, real people in history, in an action that he took almost 2,000 years ago. God's love is active. And what this means for us is that we should have an active love toward one another. We should have an active love toward one another. A love that is not all talk, but a love that actually acts, actually does good for each other here in the body. Our love may think true things about God and about others. Our love may even grieve with those who are in a difficult time or rejoice with those who, who are doing or are well and, and whatnot. But if our love does not act, then it's useless. It's nothing. It's just feelings. Do those thoughts that we have produce any actions, any actual actions performed in love for one another? So also, our love should not remain a thought or a feeling, but our love should reach out and affect each other here. We should love one another. Our love should be active. In love, God sent his son, and he did so for a purpose. He did so for a purpose. And next we'll see that God's love is life-giving. God's love is life-giving. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. Why did God send his Son into the world? We have the answer right here. God sent his Son to give us life through him. The very thing that we need most is accomplished in God's act of love. God's love is life-giving. What this means for us is that we should have a love, or we should, we should love with a purpose. As we love one another, we ought to consider how we can encourage each other 
to live more like Christ. After all, this is what he's, God sent his son so that we might live through him, so that we might be sanctified through him. How often does, does our love address the most fundamental need of others? Last week, many people here in this body helped the kidders move, and the kidders are no doubt thankful for the help that they received in, in moving. <laughs> they had a lot of things, and, uh, and, and, you get, and it was done well, and they're thankful. But the kidders' most fundamental need is not a swift and smooth transition into a new home. Many, maybe some of us here help out in other ways. Maybe we babysit for, for families that have children. Maybe we help someone paint a house or we help someone you know, do some maintenance on a vehicle. All of those things are good things. We should, should, we should continue to do those acts of love toward one another. But I want to remind us that, that our love ought to be life-giving. And helping someone or, or helping a couple get out on a date night or uh, uh, helping someone put a new fresh coat of paint on a house, or helping someone get their vehicle up and running is great, but it is not their most fundamental need. Continue to do those things, yes, but we should also have an eye toward what is the most fundamental need for each other here in this body, and that is eternal life. Our love should be life-giving. Thankfully, God didn't wait around for us to deserve this active life-giving love. Amen? <laughs> he would still be waiting, and, uh, and we would not have it. He moved first because God's love takes initiative. God's love takes initiative. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. What characterizes when God acted in love? It wasn't triggered or motivated by things that we did to deserve God's love or a collection of things that we did that were deemed worthy of God's love. No, it's the exact opposite. God acted while we were his enemies. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love acted and he took the initiative. God's love takes initiative. So what does this mean for us? It means that our love ought to be proactive and not reactive. Our love shouldn't wait for others in the church to love before it responds. Our love should take the initiative to love others. And especially... Or sorry, this is especially important for those in the church that we may say that we don't like. It's especially difficult and hard to want to act and be initiative in love-taking when it's someone that you may not like. But God, again, remember, God, when did he act? Once we became buddy-buddy with God? Once we you know, proved ourselves to be of good quality and character to, to be on the same level as God? Is that when he acted? No. He acted when we were his enemies. And I doubt anyone in this church has tried to kill you um, recently. Uh, so if that's the, if that's the threshold, um, then I would say that, uh, that, that our love is pretty pathetic if we can't turn that 
uh, the, the, whatever it is, the, the feelings that we have towards others, away and respond in love and take the initiative to love others. Our love should be proactive. Our love should take initiative. The initiative that God took in loving us is all the more impressive when you consider the cost and when you consider what loving sinners like you and I would require of God. God's love is costly. It is costly. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. God's love does not come without a cost. For him to redeem a sinful people, he would have to send his son. The fact that God sent his son may not sound staggering to you until you finish that thought. God sent his son to die. God sent his son to die. God's love is costly. What this means for us is that our love and the love that we have for one another should not shrivel when things get difficult, should not look for the easy way out. Again, we are redeemed, yes, amen. We are forgiven, amen, but we're still sinful. We're still being sanctified. We have not yet reached um, where it is that we should be, and we won't reach it, not until he comes back. So loving others in this world, especially here in this church, is messy. And if Allison were in this room, she would say, yes, it is. <laughs> loving Greg, loving me is not easy. It is not easy, but it is what we're called to. It is what we're called to. We should have a love that moves its schedule around for others. We should have a love that misses the big game for others. We should have a love that goes the extra mile for one another. Our love should be costly. If our love, sorry, is our love costly? Or do we take calculated risk in our love? Choosing the safe option, the safe people at a safe time, like maybe when they can pay us back, then we'll lend the money out. Is our love risky or is it calculated? Is it only towards those that we know will love us back? That's not true love. That is not the model of God's love. If our love comes from God, then we should love in the way that God loves. We should have a love that is willing and ready to take risk, to get messy, even get hurt. Our love should be costly. Our love should be costly. God's love is active. It is life-giving. It takes initiative. It is costly. And finally, God's love is redemptive. It is redemptive. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love has a, a goal of reconciling us to him. A necessary component for that, for us to be made right, is the removal of our sin. There is no way that we could draw near to God without first having our sin removed. 
It's, it's his character. It's who he is. So God knows this, and so he acts. He takes initiative to give life at the cost of himself and his son. God's love is redemptive. What does this mean for us? That our love should be concerned with reconciling each other to God. What goal do we have in our love for others? Do we think about that? Do we even, is that even a consideration that we take? What is, our, what is the purpose of our love? What goal do we have? What is the end of our love towards others? Whatever that goal is, it should consider the standing of each other before God. It should encourage one another. That's going to require prayer. That's going to require courage. That's going to require diligence. It's going to require getting to know one another. Amen? Maybe that other person, maybe what they need isn't another punchline or a joke or something to make them laugh. Maybe you've spotted something in someone else's life that's contrary to God's word, that's a sin, and, and, and you in love are trying to bring that to this person. It's going to take, it's going to take some thought. It's going to take some, some proactiveness. But it should have a goal of redemption. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's us who needs to come to another and confess our sin to the other. Maybe we need to start that redemption um, and reconciliation in ourselves and with others. God's love is redemptive, and our love ought to also be redemptive. Finally, after considering this call to love and the example of love, we come to the outcome of love in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John gives us two outcomes of the love of God, one that has an effect on us and one that has an effect on others. The first outcome of God's love is that we, you guessed it, we love one another. That is the outcome of of God's love towards us is that we love one another. At the end of the day, as we consider what love the Father has for us, we ought to be motivated to love one another. God's love for us should not only awaken the ability to love, but it should also instill in us this irresistible desire to love one another as he has loved us. That is why John can say in this verse that we ought to love one another. The second outcome of God's love towards us is that we perfectly image God's love to others. Or, or, or the outcome is to show others what God's love is like. To show others what God's love is like. As John introduces this second outcome of love, he uses a familiar phrase that he uses in the first chapter of the gospel he wrote, first, or John chapter 1. I want you to listen to this. Here's what he says. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. It seems odd here that John would say then 
that no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Did you catch that? In his gospel, Jesus, the word become flesh, who is a revelation of God or is the revelation of God who is unseen. Jesus is. And now here in our text today, what is the revelation of God? Where can we see God's love in this world now? Here's what he says. It is not Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God, ascended to the throne on high, who sent the Spirit, the Helper. However, here John says, it's rather our love that reveals the unseen God. How does that work? Let's take a look at that logic. So God is love. Whoever, or sorry, He is the very definition of love. God loves us, and He gives us that love and the example of love. And that causes us to love one another. And as we are loving one another, we are loving one another with the love of God that God has for us. And so it is, as we love one another in this way, we image who God is and how he loves. As we love one another, we image who God is and how he loves. The striking thing is that God chose for our love for one another to perfectly display his love. That means that how we love one another should perfectly express what God is like and how he loves. Think about that. God has decided that the best way to know him and his love is to look at us and our love for one another. So are we loving one another? Are we being active in our love? Are we taking initiative? Is our love life-giving? Is it costly? Is our love redemptive? We see in our text today that John has a desire for the church to love one another. That's gonna, that, that is a massively difficult thing to do if we're only sinners. Amen? But God is good, and he sent his son, and he sent his son that we may have life, and that this life that we live is not no longer the life that we used to live, but we live through him. Are we loving one another? Look around, again, I, I said earlier, look around each other in this room. Beautiful faces. These are the people that we are called to love. This is, this is the church. Now, don't look around this time, um, but when you're looking around, you probably saw some people that you're, you're friends with, you're buddy-buddy with, you'll, you'll probably hang out in the foyer with or, or go grab a cup of coffee with. John fundamentally is not calling us to, to only love those people. That's easy. The church, I mean, the, the Gentiles can do that. That's not impressive. What God is calling us to do through John here is to love those, and don't look at them now, <laughs> but to love those that have hurt us, that have caused us pain, to love those that have sinned against us, to reconcile those relationships, and to love one another. That is John's purpose in writing this, is that we should love one another. And remember, that God's love was active. It, 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 it took action. It is life-giving. 
It takes initiative. It moves first before anyone else comes to, you know, reconcile the wrong. I ought to be seeing people after I pray just start running up to one another. Who's going to be the first to outdo one another in love? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, handle it a little on your own, on your own but, uh, but handle it nonetheless. Amen? That is what God is calling us to do. So to answer the question in the beginning, what is love and what does love look like? Well, God is love. And look around you here this morning. This is what love looks like. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for what it is that you have done in sending your son. There's no way that we could ever draw near to you without that. And and you've caused and called us to love one another. You've given us an example in yourself, in your love for us, that perfectly displays how our love for one another ought to be. We should be active in our love. We should be life-giving in our love, taking initiative, costly love, but a redemptive love that draws each and every one of us nearer and closer to who you are. Help us, Lord. Give us that love for one another. Draw us again over and over again to your scripture to be reminded of the love that we ought to have towards one another. Again, Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that, that you would get the glory and that we would be blessed and loved by others here in this church. In your name we pray. Amen.